according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. Picking up where we left off a week ago. We... um, we're dealing with a slanderer from verse 19. We know who the slanderer is. In Greek, the diabolos is the term that gets translated devil. And uh, the concept behind that verb, diabolo, and the uh, related forms uh, centers on slander. And this is the function of what our adversary does. He is the accuser, uh, called the accuser of our brethren before the uh, Father day and night. And uh, anyway, his imitators, his offspring, the brood of vipers that still function among us, Uh, they too are slanderers and they go about from place to place and they love to reveal secrets. Whether they're true or not is irrelevant. Um, Technically, if it's false, it's slander. If it's true, it's gossip. Either way, you don't need to be talking about it. And uh, the blessings we have in serving the Lord, the God of truth, the God of grace, is that we uh, have nothing to do with the slander or the slanderer, as the case may be. All right, so moving from there, we're going to look at verses 20 and following, 20, 21, 22. We'll see how far we get. Before we do start, though, it would be useless to sit here out of fellowship, and so let's take a moment for silent prayer, make sure that we are humble in fellowship, prepared for truth, shall we pray. Almighty Father, we do thank you for the blessings of your word and the privilege that it is to be Uh, a child of truth, to uh, have the spirit of truth indwelling each one of us, and to to learn from the truth of your word, Father. We ask that you bless our time of study today. Open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts. We thank you and praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, I have my cheat sheet here with the slide numbers on it. Boom. How easy is that? All right. The slanderer, this was point 18 in the outline. The slanderer is a servant of Satan. And I mentioned the, the Greek with diabolo, but the Hebrew here is rakil, Strong's number 7400. And uh, this is the talebearer. This is the, someone that's going about from place to place. And very frequently it's, it's, uh, it's in tandem with another verb, halak, which means to, to walk or to go. And uh, the idea is this guy is just has no stability at all. He, he just roams from place to place so he can tell us stories and he can spread the, spread the dirt that he has in different capacities. So talebearer, and it's condemned, Luke 19 and verse 16, and uh, these places that we've seen. And we looked at these verses last week, Proverbs 11, Proverbs 20, where we are today, the two references in Jeremiah plus Ezekiel. And it's curious to me too because the... Um, this uh, verb rakil and, and the, or this noun rakil and its cognate forms is curious to me how sometimes they're attached to gossip and sometimes they're attached to um, marketing. They're, they're attached to uh, a merchant, for example. And so in the fall of Satan, when you read about it in, uh, in Ezekiel 28, it's, uh, it's his trade, the unrighteousness of his trade, whereby he defiled his sanctuaries and he he built up his wealth and he was he was uh, prideful in his uh, in his beauty and the things there. So anyway, they form remarkable uh, word studies and, and concepts that we want to be cautious with. And uh, in fact, if we're peddling the word of God, that's uh, that's not why we're here. 
we're here to be speaking the truth, and uh, we, we can appreciate that. All right, so now we move on to some um, parental abuse when it comes to children that are cursing father and mother. So we get to point 19 in the outline. And uh, of course, Scripture tells us to honor your father and mother, not to curse them. And so uh, the point here, parental honor prolongs life, and parental cursing is worthy of physical death. And uh, this is an idiom that we don't want to mistake. When a lamp goes out, it's talking about the lamp of the body. It's talking about the soul departing. And uh, this is the idiom as we have it throughout the Old Testament, not just in the wisdom literature. So he who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in a time of darkness. And uh, the plain understanding of it there, there is a consequence for cursing. There's a consequence for abuse consequence for it. And, and there's scriptural consequences for it. There are, of course, secular consequences for it. We have state agencies. Thank goodness we do. Uh, state agencies, in fact, not too far from here, right on uh, over there on the interstate. But it's a state agency that, that uh, deals with uh, elder care and the abuse of the elderly and, and organizations there. Obviously, we've got our Bible up and running here. We're familiar with the Ten Commandments as they're found in Exodus chapter 20. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. And the lengthening of the days, this is a concept, and we've, we've just addressed it before. Um, it is the first commandment with the promise. There are tangible consequences in this life and the next for honoring your father and mother. And I think it, it helps us to broaden our thinking. We, uh, it's, it's very simple to say, well, there's X number of days that each one of us has. That X number of days is true. We do have X number of days. But we also have Y number of days and we have Z number of days. And I think it's better if we expand our thinking in the sovereignty of God and the divine decrees to realize that before we were ever born, before uh, there's even one day in our physical earthly life, that there is an X number of days that God has assigned, but then He also has... um, flexibility in his plan. He has a discretionary will as well. And in his flexibility he has the contingency circumstances whereby we can shorten our life through sin unto death or um, suicide or I mean, just horrible things that can happen through sin, through divine judgment, God will take a believer out. That's what the sin unto death is. And a shortened time frame uh, is uh, is the Y option to the XYZ principle there. We have X number of days, we have Y number of days, we also have Z number of days. That's the blessing option whereby He prolongs, whereby He extends our time on earth. And uh, one of the things that will do that is honoring your father and your mother. And uh, so we see the principle here. Anyway, these are things we've taught in the past and I hope we're clear on those. Um, some folks don't want to think about flexibility in the plan of God because they think somehow that's an attack on sovereignty or somehow that means God isn't really in charge of things and so forth. No, his foreknowledge understands all of this and it's not really uh, a limitation on God's part. I think it's a glory on God's part that he creates a plan that is that has the contingencies built in uh, that that do incorporate human volition in the uh, in the outworkings of these things. In any event, 
Uh, honor your father and mother, the first commandment with a promise. And this is what we're expected to do, and it does prolong life. But parental cursing is worthy of physical death. So not only the verse we saw in Proverbs 20, 2020, which we were just in, but also back to Exodus again, and we look at Exodus 21, verse 14 and verse 17. All right, and so we have these uh, different uh, crimes, different uh, attacks, different applications of violence. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint you a place to which he may flee. So if it's accidental rather than premeditated, if, it's, uh, if there's circumstances that can mitigate the, uh, the attack, whereby it's not truly um, murder as, as an intentional act of volition, then the man can flee. And the cities of refuge were designed to give the person, it was like bail before trial, you have permission to, to flee to these places and then the fair trial can investigate the circumstances. If, however, a man acts presumptuously towards his neighbor so as to kill him craftily. You are to take him even from my altar that he may die. So there's no refuge for premeditated murder. There's no refuge and there's nowhere to flee. Even the, the temple itself, even clinging to the horns of the altar and the, the holiness of that altar is, uh, is not sufficient to, uh, to save the murderer. Verse 15 says, He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. My suspicion is I meant to put 15 there instead of 14. So sorry about the typo. Let's just go with 15. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. That's the, that's the consequence. And uh, this is what we deal with. And people that say that uh, the, the death penalty is not right or that, that they're opposed to capital punishment on philosophical grounds, they can't claim biblical grounds because there are episodes, I mean there's, there's issue after issue after issue that is meted out with a capital punishment in God's standard of justice. Same thing with kidnapping. He who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he's found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. He who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. And so when you look at verse 15 and 17 there side by side, get them in the both the same view there maybe. Anyway, physical harm, verbal harm, cursing. The, the verbal cursing is equal to the physical striking, the physical damage that's done. Remember the, the power of words and the privilege that we have in the image of God to be able to communicate verbally and to communicate the ideas from my mind to your mind. These are powerful privileges that we have. And the abuse uh, verbally is equated with physical abuse in, uh, in this context. And so again, put to death. This child is put to death. So these are the biblical aspects of law. Okay? We understand this, and uh, this is what the, uh, the Mosaic Law points to. Now, are we under law in the church age? No, we're not under law in the church age. But are the principles still applicable in the church age? Of course the principles are. That's why we have Ephesians 6. That's why we have children, honor your father and mother, the first commandment with the promise. That's why these things get repeated in the New Testament. Does that mean our nation should uh, pass a law that uh, executes children for uh, violence upon their parents? Am I advocating that? 
since I just joined a committee where pastors have the opportunity to, uh, to influence state legislation? Well, I don't see this anywhere on the, on the Texas agenda anytime soon, but it's like capital punishment for adultery. I don't see that on the agenda anytime soon. But, yeah, good luck getting a politician to vote for that. But here's the thing. If those laws were passed, if the state of Texas shaped its capital punishment along the pattern that we have in the, in the Old Testament, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. All right? I'm saying that the closer we get to the will of God in our, in our law code, the more blessed we're going to be as a culture. All right? So we're going to have less youth violence. We're going to have less gang activity. We're going to have less... Um, all, these, all these issues come about because our laws are written to depart from the biblical norm. And the further we get from the biblical norm, our culture reflects that with the lawlessness that we see on the streets. And the big word there is lawlessness. As lawlessness increases, most people's love will grow cold. And Jesus said these days are coming. And, and here we are dealing with it there. Alright, so that's, uh, that's verse 20. Again, Proverbs twenty twenty. Um, he who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in time of darkness. And, uh, and so it's curious to me, and I think uh, child raising books that, uh, that center on Mosaic law, they have a point, they're useful, they're beneficial, but if you don't get into the New Testament and show the grace side of things, I think um, you're, you're going to end up with a one-sided uh, child training book. So we want to start with law when they're young, we want to move to grace as they're older, and especially after they're saved, and, uh, and raise our children on that basis. All right, verse uh, 21. It's not just the younger children, it's the older children, it's the adult children who may uh, curse their parents and may bring them to harm. And uh, it says in verse 21, an inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. And so uh, more parental abuse in this verse, kind of as concepts, they, they connect from verse 20 to verse 21. How do you hurry up an inheritance? <laughs> How do you accelerate your inheritance? Well, it could be like the prodigal son. There's, there's basically two ways. Yes, you can, you can bump off your, your, your dad early and, uh, and then drive your mother away. Uh, that's, that's one thing. In fact, it's mentioned in... Uh, Proverbs 19. Uh, but yeah, you can accelerate inheritance through the premature demise of, uh, of, of your parents. And, uh, or you can uh, request your share prematurely and depart, which is a repudiation of your father's name, your father's estate. Um, the, you realize if, if, you're, if you're cutting bait and, and, and running, then you're actually bringing harm to your, your father's house in, in the future years that your father has remaining and, uh, and those issues there. So yes, point 20 in the outline. Inheritance is not to be accelerated. The chapter prior to this one, I don't know that we spent a lot of time in Proverbs nineteen twenty six. He who assaults his father and drives his mother away is a shameful and dis. Uh, disgraceful son. And um, yeah, I don't know that I really even considered the, the application of it here in the sense of the assault on the father results in the father's death 
and then driving the mother away so that you don't have to care for the widow in her old age. You understand, inheritance, by the way, when the father dies, the mother doesn't have to die, when the father dies, then, then that inheritance is, is bequeathed upon the son. And, uh, or the son's plural, the firstborn gets the double portion. Anyway, the firstborn also has responsibility to care for the widowed mother, right? Solomon became king after David died. Bathsheba's still alive. And he provided for her and, and she dined at his table. He set up, even set up a little throne next to his throne. And uh, she, was, she had a place of honor as the queen mother. Um, so this is the thing. In the ancient world, it wasn't, you're not waiting for, it wasn't as if the wife inherited everything when the husband died. No, the, the inheritance passes to the son when the father dies. That's key. And so assaulting father and driving mother away, this may be an application uh, that we're talking about here in Proverbs twenty twenty one. where you are hurrying up the inheritance. An inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. And so maybe there's a there's a windfall, there's a first, uh, you know, the first moment you receive it, there it seems to be all wonderful, but no, our, our Father sees in secret, He sees what happens and there's going to be long-term consequences for this uh, accelerated inheritance. Then of course the prodigal son, that's the issue there, Luke 15. Verses 11 through 20. And you know, taught this several times and I've pondered it for ages. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So it's not the older brother, it's the younger brother. The older brother has his own issues, which we see about, you know, by the end of the story. Um, But the younger son, he's not the one that's entitled a double portion. But he still is an heir, he still is a son, and he still has um, to, to carry on the father's name, the, tri- the clan's name, the tribe's name. There are um, connections here that we lose in the, in the modern world. We don't understand arranged marriages. We, we think it's silly, we think it's wrong, we think it's unthinkable. Like how, how could I possibly marry a girl that my dad picks out? Are you kidding me? I know my dad's sense of humor. How would I pick out, a, how would I, you know... You learn to love the person after you marry. I mean, yes, you learn to love the person and you are honorable in your duties to your clan and your family and your tribe. And um, you do learn to love the person because, you know, this is who God has provided for you. Anyway, um, I don't know that I'm going to successfully bring back, uh, I'm not trying to bring back arranged marriages in American culture. Um, but I do have two daughters. If uh, <laughs> never mind, the uh, the younger of them, stick with scriptures, said, "Father, give me the share of the estate." Now you understand the damage this does, because the father's estate is not only the accumulated wealth of his own productivity, but it's the accumulated wealth of his own. Um, years and years and years of his own productivity and his son's productivity and the connections he can make with his sons when he does arrange for them. And and apparently there's no mention of wives in this. We don't know if, we don't think the the younger son is married, if he's going to go out to wherever, pig land, and and waste his money with harlots and, and things there. He's probably not married. We don't know. 
We don't know about the older brother and, and if he's married or what kind of arrangements that the father is making. Realize this is going to take some money on the father's part. And whatever he writes off, so whatever he, and, and he does, he divided his wealth between them. So that's a huge financial hit on the father's part. And the father's not dying. The father's got work to do in front of him and he's got de- deals to make and he's got commerce to engage in and he's going to have to I suspect, find a, find a bride for his remaining son. And, uh, but now he has less resources to do that with. And, uh, you know, to prepare a dowry and, and all the things that are going to take place there. Anyway, it's, it's interesting. And then when the son does come back, this, this, this is all gone. All of this is just blown. This is all just consumption spending. All of this is gone. And there is nothing left to contribute towards the, towards the family. So anyway, these are, these are some interesting concepts. And, and a lot of it uh, is you've got to study the, the culture of the ancient Near East. You've got to study the, the biblical practices among the Jewish people, how they divided the land, what they did in terms of the tribe, why uh, intermarriage or, or, yes, from one tribe to another was a problem because that then took some of the land grant and some of the productivity from one tribe to a different tribe. And um, those things are all involved in your Old Testament studies. And um, even in the Roman era, when we get into the New Testament period of time, even in the Roman era, the, the Romans functioned under something called pater familius. You ever heard of that? Pater familius, one word. And, uh, but it's, the, it's the, the, the family of the father. And even adult sons, even adult sons that have left home, adult sons that have had their own military career, adult sons that have had their own political career, adult sons uh, with their own wives and children and so forth, everything they own, everything that adult son owns is not in his own name. It's in his father's name, as long as his father is still living. It's in his father's name. And when he accumulates wealth and he, when, he, um, when he obtains plunder and when he, all these things that the Romans would do to advance the republic uh, was also to, uh, to advance their clan. Their gens, they called it. And so um, it's not until the father dies. And this is, this is staggering because my dad just died, you know, last year. And so two years ago, whenever that was. Last year. All right. And so um, only then, only a year ago then, would anything I own then um, be transferred to my name if that's how my father's will was written up. <laughs> All right? So what if uh, in my father's will I find out, oh, I've been disinherited. Oh, this other person's been adopted. This is the power of adoption, you understand? And so if somebody else has been adopted and made an heir, I might not have anything under the Roman law. So anyway, that's the, uh, the concept there. So when this older uh, when this father divides his estate and the younger son goes out, gathers everything together, goes on a journey to a distant country, don't know, I call it pig land because he ends up working with pigs and, and, and they're eating better than he is. And he squandered his estate with loose living. And uh, it sounds like fun to me, right? It's a party. It's, this is a, you know, um, work hard, play hard kind of thing and make it and spend it. And uh, this is what, it, and the idea is not just the sins that he's committing. Okay, so fornication, drunkenness. That, we get those sins. But the, the squandering is what's tragic because 
you have a, a lifetime of accumulated wealth on the part of the Father. And now that lifetime of accumulated wealth, and understand accumulated means not spent, means saved, means invested, means built upon, means you're taking profits and you're reinvesting those profits into, into the family business and, and all these things. And so you think about it, you think about all the sacrifice, the, the, the weekends missed, the holidays that, that are worked through. And I, I love business people. I love entrepreneurs and, and somebody that's, that's working seven days a week and is pouring his, his soul into, into, his, into his business and then reinvesting it and, and delayed gratification because, you know, he, he misses, you know, it's been 10 years since his last vacation and all these things. And I don't, this is where um, envy and, and all of the, the uh, when you get malcontents out there to try to claim that they're entitled to somebody else's wealth, it just angers me, really. You know, the scripture says, thou shalt not steal, and you have a productive person following the wisdom of God's word. And you're going to plunder that? In any event, so squandering his estate with loose living. So when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and here's the pigs. And the, the the pigs are eating better than he is. The swine were eating. Anyway, so he, when he came to his senses, there's a good expression there, the insanity that comes when you're living in the world and chasing after the world's uh, entertainment. He says, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? I'm dying here with hunger. Well, guess what? Your father's got fewer hired men than he used to have. Because you devastated his, you took away a third of his net worth when you, when you liquidated it and took it away. I will get up and say to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And in one of the most marvelous testimonies to uh, eternal security, you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose your sonship. You remain a son even if you're in broken fellowship and no longer walking in in uh, proximity to your heavenly family. So he got up and came to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him, ran and embraced him and kissed him. See, the love never stopped, even though the fellowship was broken. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even get to finish his little speech. You notice this? He doesn't get to the part where he says, make me as one of your hired men. Because he, even though he had this long speech prepared, the father cut him off before he could get to the, to the hired hand part of it. His father said to the slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put on a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again, was lost, has been found, and they began to celebrate. And there's so much doctrine in this, and I love this episode, and it's on the website in the Life of Christ series where we did the most work with it. Of course, this is now where the older brother comes along. Now the older brother, he's got issues and um, arrogance and pride and, and different things. He doesn't like the, and he's got uh, hurt feelings because when, when has he ever had a party like this with a fatted calf? The older son was in the field when he came and approached the house. He heard music and dancing. Summoned one of his servants, began inquiring what these things could be. 
So he said to him, your brother has come, your uh, father has killed the fatted calf because he had received him back safe and sound. So he became angry. And we see the, the condition of his soul. Didn't have capacity to appreciate a sinner that's returned. Became angry, was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. So more of this dynamic here at work as well. He's not going to come in. He's going to refuse the father's worship celebration. Now that also is a, is that not a criticism of the father? Is that not a rejection of parental authority? And it shows the father invited him in. The father's throwing the party and he's not going to participate. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you. This is why you've got to forget what lies behind. This is why you can't be a legalist about different things. So many years I've been serving you. I have never neglected a command of yours, except for the command to come into the party. <laughs> okay, so there's a command. He's neglecting that right now. Yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Isn't this something? And it shows you the, the, the mindset. He doesn't want to worship with a father. He wants to, you know, take the, take the goat and go party with his buds. But when this son of yours came, not my brother, but your son, when the son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him also curious to me the information network this brother has and how he keeps tabs on what his brother is doing and how he's aware of all these other things and and uh, it's curious you know as if anyway the father's words are interesting he says to him son you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours Remember, he only has two sons. And the older one is entitled to a double portion. The younger one gets a single portion. So that means two-thirds originally was designed to go to the older brother and one-third to the younger brother. Well, now that's written off. That's gone. So this older brother now is the 100% heir of everything that the father's going to produce. So you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. We had to. So now there's an obligation. And now the father gets to convey the fact that there are obligations that all of us are under. And the father has authority over his sons, but the father himself is under authority. He's under God's authority. And he says we had to. That there's a spiritual principle at work here because God is rejoicing, this father's going to be rejoicing. Heaven's rejoicing when a sinner repents. We had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours, not just this son of mine, this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. Now it's using dead in an interesting way because he's not physically dead and he's not spiritually dead because you don't lose your salvation. But he's operationally dead because he's out of fellowship. He's, out, he's walking in darkness. And that carnal walk is called the walk of death. He was dead and has now begun to live. So realize that. He's repentant. He's, he's at a very fragile place. He's, if you've ever had a prolonged time of darkness, when you, when you confess, when you repent, when you get back under teaching, you're still pretty shaky. 
because you've been malnourished and you've been you haven't been under teaching and 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 you know especially if there's addiction involved drug addictions alcohol addiction sex addiction whatever it may be this kid was a sex addict i guess with the prostitutes but whatever the case may be he's had this prolonged darkness and you know how what would it take to just drive him away again i think pretty easily this brother could drive away his little brother again like that and could could uh, you know send him packing again, and then it's another spiral back down into darkness again. So he has begun to live. He was lost, has now been found, and this is the reason for the worship, the reason for the uh, the celebration on the father's part. All right. Inheritance is not to be accelerated. So either through bringing your parents to harm or bringing your parents to harm. <laughs> by disowning your parents and, and claiming what you think is yours and uh, prematurely um, skipping town with it. Okay? Because if your father's not dead yet, how are you claiming the share that belongs to you? I think the father was very gracious to, to write him a, you know, hand him the wealth and, and uh, bid him farewell. Didn't have to. In fact, could have killed the kid. Okay? Um, in any event. talk about vengeance. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. We get to verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and He will save you. Got plenty of passages that say, do not repay evil for evil. This one says, don't even talk about it. Do not say. Neither the Old Testament nor the New Testament believers are to repay evil for evil. Even saying it, which means you're thinking it, is inappropriate. Do not say. Don't plan it. Don't intend it. Don't want it. Stop thinking about it. Neither Old Testament nor New Testament believers are to repay evil for evil. Even saying it is inappropriate. So we have a do not say statement here. The do not say statements are pretty popular in extra-biblical wisdom literature, not so much in the biblical wisdom literature, but we do have uh, this and Ecclesiastes as illustrations of the do not say imperative. Much more common in um, Sirach, in uh, some of the apocryphal wisdom literature texts, really became a, became a thing. But let's talk about the scriptures here. Vengeance is not ours either as an Old Testament believer or a New Testament believer. And so it doesn't matter. This is, this is a principle that spans all dispensational distinctions. It doesn't matter if you're under law in the Old Testament or under grace in the New Testament. Neither uh, operational function for, uh, for daily living, either law or grace, neither one uh, allows for vengeance to be taken on the part of a, a believer that's walking in the light. So again, Proverbs 20, 22. Oops. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. And the blessings of waiting, the joys of waiting, the, the best benefit of the faith rest life is not only the personal tranquility that you have in your soul, the stability and peace that you have, the inner happiness that you, you don't lose, the blessings of faith rest are that you get to wait. And in waiting, you get to admire and appreciate how glorious our God is. 
You get to see our Father at work. And you get to see Him at work um, in slow motion, if you will. Because every, from our perspective, everything God does, it just takes forever. And we're so impatient. And uh, because we're finite creatures interacting with the infinite, eternal, holy God. And so what if He takes 20 years to bring about a blessing? That's His good pleasure. And in the meantime, every day within those 20 years to bring about a blessing are multiplied provisions, multiplied glories, multiplied um, opportunities to testify that God is good. And so, um, yes, waiting upon the Lord. We'll talk about waiting in point 22. But um, the vengeance issue, it's not our place. We're not equipped to be the avenger, all right? The avenger is not our role. And the, the blood avenger, we want to be, be quick. The blood avenger. Now under law, blood avenger got to throw the first stone. Jesus comes along and says, if you're without sin, go right ahead. <laughs> okay? Because the avenger is also the redeemer. Here's the thing, the goel, the same, same vocabulary. For avenging is the same vocabulary for redeeming. So let me ask you, what do you really want to do? Do you want to avenge? Wouldn't you rather redeem? Is there some way that we can turn cursing to blessing? Is there some way that the dead can live? Is there some way that works out better than eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, shedding blood because man's blood was shed? All right? Redeeming is better than avenging. And, uh, and, and, and really, God's uh, prohibition against human revenge is because human revenge never stops. That's how you end up with these clan wars, these tribe wars. You end up with Hatfields and McCoys and they hate each other for generations. Or you end up with um, Hutus and Tutsis in the, in the uh, Rwanda uh, massacres. You end, up with, uh, you, just, you end up with one tribe that hates another tribe just because. And, and eventually, after so much back and forth with revenge for this, revenge for that, I mean, you just forget. Now, wait a minute, whose turn is it for revenge now? <laughs> you know? It never stops. but redemption as Jesus lays down his life for humanity, the once and for all sacrifice. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. All right, so these are pretty easy to understand. Leviticus nineteen eighteen. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge. That's why we talk about the wanting to. Even if you don't take vengeance but you want to, even if you don't take vengeance but you're holding a grudge, why are you harboring the mental attitude sin? What's the point in that? You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the desire to take vengeance demonstrates a lack of love, demonstrates that you're failing. It's a sin of omission. You're not applying the law of love. You're not loving your neighbor. You're harboring a grudge against him. And so there might be practical things that come along. Maybe you spot his animal down in a ditch and you just think, huh, because you're holding a grudge against him, you have a little carnal part of your mind. It takes a little joy out of that person's misfortune that says, ah, how about that? You know, sorry for you, pal. You know, you're losing the sheep. Now you could bring the animal, bring the sheep out of the ditch, save the sheep, take it to your neighbor. Why do you want your neighbor to suffer loss? Because you're harboring a grudge against him. And if you could get away with it, you'd probably inflict vengeance against him. 
No, love. Love your neighbor as yourself. If it was your sheep, wouldn't you want your neighbor to pull it out and bring it back to you? Of course you would. That's the law of love. So it's spelled out this way in the law. Deuteronomy 32. Vengeance is mine and retribution. Let me back up a little bit. You know, when you talk about okay. Verse 34 says, is not laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries. All the things God has. He's got treasuries. Treasuries of blessing, treasuries of recompense, consequences. God is the supreme judge of the universe. Of course now He's given all judgment to the Son. But these treasuries and His prerogative, when to dispense them, when to administer justice, when to um, provide. And that includes the providing of vengeance. Vengeance is mine. So if you inflict it yourself, you're stealing it from God. You're stealing it from God's treasuries of vengeance because you, you're taking it upon yourself. And you want to inflict vengeance. And God has actually withheld vengeance because God knows the end from the beginning. Why did God let King Manasseh reign for 55 years? Because after 55 years, Manasseh gets saved. How about that? And then he dies as a believer. And if you kill him too early, you're threatening the line of Christ. You know, how long does it take before he fathers a son? And, uh, and those applications there. I think it's the same thing too with Hezekiah. Praise God that Hezekiah gets 15 years added to his life. Because, uh, you know, the line of Christ could have been in jeopardy there. All right. Vengeance is mine and retribution. They're separate things. In due time their foot will slip. So wait, in due time. For in the day, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. God is slow to anger, He is long suffering, and that's for His glory. So when you want to jump in and inflict your vengeance now, you want to diminish the glory of God because He's showing even more long suffering than you're willing to show. All right. But he's, uh, He is slow, but He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. They will get theirs. And it's, it's coming, either in time or in eternity. Relax, God's got a handle on it in, uh, in all these things. So that's from the Old Testament side of things. In the New Testament, same principles apply. Who are we to put ourselves in God's uh, place of judgment? Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. And this context is interesting because um, yeah, if we back all the way up to verse 9, it's an outline for how a local church needs to function one to another and how we interact with each other with unhypocritical love. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. This is the recipe for a successful, thriving local church. Not lagging behind in diligence, ferving in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. You see this interactive dynamic. And when people have discussions about why a local church is so important when they can just get doctrine off a webcast and they can stay home and they can podcast whoever, wherever, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. Yeah, you can be Sylvester Hermit Christian living in a cave. Okay, I renamed him on Sunday. Sylvester Hermit Christian living in a cave. You can, you can get content you can learn information, and yeah, you can fill notebooks with all kinds of notes. 
And there's good, good pastors out there to give you the, the finest doctrine imaginable. But you're not plugged into a flock. That means you're not living this paragraph. You're not, um, you've got a, a hypocritical love. You're not devoted to one another in brotherly love. You're not giving preference to one another in honor. This is the give and take of sacrifice. This is the, and, and you've got nobody to give and take with. You've got nobody to sacrifice with. You're not a part of a body in a, in a local sense. Easy to sit home and play the tape recorder or, or stream the stream the, the, the YouTube. All right, serving the Lord. Who are you serving when you're sitting at home, master of your own YouTube subscriptions? Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. By the way, we haven't left the context. We're still talking about fellow believers in the church who have just been persecuting you. Bless them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the uh, lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And what a joy that we have to fellowship with one another and love one another and serve one another. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Say, this is not just some unbeliever out there in the streets. This is a, a brother in the church, a sister in the church. And they did you dirt. Repay with love. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. Leave room for the wrath of God as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So it's an Old Testament principle. It's given to Israel as they operate under law, but it's still valid for the church as we operate under grace. Vengeance remains God's prerogative, never ours. We don't have the capacity to mete it out correctly. When God does meet it out, finally, He still has mercy blended in. He still has uh, the desire for repentance blended in. When we meet it out, there's no mercy. There's no desire for repentance. We're, we're just getting back what we think, uh, you know, the hurt that was done to us. We're trying to inflict hurt on them. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Preview of coming attractions. You know where that comes from? That comes from later in Proverbs. We just haven't gotten there yet. Okay, coming up. Proverbs 25. All right. How about uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.15? Again, this is a a recipe for how a, um, a church can work together. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. So yeah, they did you dirt. You think maybe something's going on? You think maybe they've got issues? (laughs) Their soul is in a pretty crummy state? Don't you think they need your prayers? You can pray for them, you can love them, you can get them back. With gentleness you can win your brother. Correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps God might grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And so don't repay evil for evil. Seek for that which is good for one another and all people. That's what introduces rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. (laughs) That trinity of imperatives comes right after your brother just did you dirt here in the church. 
So don't repay, repay evil for evil. Seek for what is good for all men. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. All of you. That means we're operating together in a church body, operating in a family. We're not out there doing our own thing. Harmonious. You know, you had, how are you harmonious by yourself? <laughs> you know, a soloist can sing solo, but you got you need at least a second voice in there if you're going to be harmonizing. If uh, you know you need, you can do four part harmony. How many voices do you need? There's a clue. Four voices. All right. If you're going to be harmonious, sympathetic, you can't be sympathetic by yourself. Brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Somebody insults you, return with a blessing. And not the sarcastic Texas kind of, well, bless their heart. Okay? That's, a, that's not what we're talking about here. That's, I mean, the words, yeah. It's an interesting expression. Giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Notice, your giving a blessing is connected with your receiving an inheritance. That this is a part of our role as sons. We are heirs of Jesus Christ, our heirs of the Father, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, the heir of all things. And as heirs with Jesus Christ, fellow heirs with Christ, inheriting every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, how can we not bless one another? Appreciate that. All right. Believers are not. So it's one thing to say don't return evil for evil, but I think it's a step beyond to say don't even talk about it. Don't even talk about it. Because when you reread Proverbs 20, 22, it doesn't tell you not to repay. It says don't say I will repay. So this is, this is a step even further you understand? It's because it's going into your speaking and it's going into your thinking. Do not say, I will repay. Making an I will statement like Satan makes his I will statements. Declaring your intention to live in defiance of the will of God. Thinking about it, intending to do it. You know, at what point does sin become sin? At what point does the, you know, in the, in the mysteries of conception, at what point does the does the seed hit the egg? At what point is that egg fertilized? All right? Not every seed fertilizes an egg, but when the, when the seed hits the egg and that egg is fertilized, that's when sin has conceived. And it's not in the temptation. It's not in the consideration, although you're headed that way in the consideration. Okay? If you're thinking about it, you're playing with fire. All right? So the thought crosses your mind. Hey, I could do this sin. Thinking that you can do it is not a sin because it gives you the opportunity to say, well, no, man shall not live by bread alone. You quote scripture, you answer the temptation. But you're aware of the fact that you could do it. Jesus is aware of the fact that he could reject the cross. He said, is it possible to take this cup from me? He says, Father, if it's possible, 
please take this cup from me? So he's thinking about it. And I think he, he was thinking about it long and hard. He's thinking about it. He wanted his disciples praying with him. They kept falling asleep. He wanted them praying because he's been thinking about what he would have to do the next day. Thinking about it doesn't make it a sin because Jesus never sinned. All right? And then rejecting it on the will of God. Okay? Now you can reject it for other reasons too. (laughs) What if you reject it not because it's sin and not because God said no, you just reject it because you're afraid of getting caught. Okay? Are you still in fellowship? (laughs) If you're afraid of getting caught... Well, all right. (laughs) But when you decide to do it, here's here's why I'm very convinced, okay? And I'm very convinced that once you decide, not only that you want to do it, because once you want to do it, then you start to explore, how do I do it? How do I get away with it? How do I, you know, the who, what, where, when, why, and how, okay? Your place or mine. I mean, you're you're, you're at this point where you want to do it, you say you're going to do it. When you intend to do it, you've done it. Jesus said, when you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've done it. You've committed adultery with her in your heart. When you've decided to do it, when David decided to to have Bathsheba, that's when he sinned. And and by God's grace, he brought her into into the palace. By God's grace, I think, God gave him a chance to back out. By God's grace, he brought her in, and they couldn't do it right away. By God's grace. And then he finally does. Okay? But he was carnal long before that. He was carnal when he was up on the roof. Okay? So do not say, because saying reflects thinking. And saying, it means that your thinking has come to the conclusion that this is what you're going to do. You've passed the decision-making process. You've already made the determination. So do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and He will save you. So this saying idiom is curious. It comes up again in uh, Ecclesiastes on a different issue. Ecclesiastes 7.10, do not say. And so this talks about problematic conversations, which is really an expression of problematic thinking. Do not say, why is it that that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Do not say. And I tell you, anytime, we all do it. I've done it. We've all done it. Anytime you lament the days gone by, anytime you long for the glory days of way back when, it's not wisdom that's sparking that. And honestly, those days weren't as awesome as you're making it out to be. Your hindsight is is flavored with some some uh, memory, uh, shall we say, modification. <laughs> Some, uh, you know, you weren't saying those glorious days back then. Not in the same way you're saying now. You've built up an idol over flawed memories of how things used to be. And we all do that. Humanity does that. I think there's a, I think there's a, uh, a stoicheia, a fundamental element of the cosmos that, that prompts that. So we've got to resist it and we've got to stop doing that. 
do not say. Do not say. All right, so, but then he says, wait, wait. Next week we're going to talk about waiting on the Lord because I can't cover that in four minutes. Waiting on the Lord. The blessings of waiting. It's an imperative. Stand by, stand fast and watch the salvation of God. You know, here you are at the Red Sea and you think there's no answer. It's a dead end. There's nowhere to go. We're doomed. Well, wait a minute. (laughs) Stand fast and watch. Just wait. And a lot of verses with kavah, because in the waiting you're, you're hoping. In the waiting you're expecting. It is a hopeful expectation of waiting. And this is where in faith you're just rubbing your hands saying, man, I can't wait to see. This is going to be good. Because humanly speaking, there's no answers. I mean, when God shows it, we are all going to celebrate. This is going to be an amazing thing to consider. This is the, uh, this, so this is the difference between Zacharias and Mary. You know what I'm talking about? When, when the angel comes to Zacharias, Zacharias says, how can this be? In a tone of voice that's very negative. How can this be? I'm an old man. My wife's an old lady. We, uh, we don't do those kind of things anymore. And we're going to have a baby? How can this be? Since I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in age. Mary, when she was told, the same angel, the same chapter, goes to Mary, tells her she's going to have a baby. And she says, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin. Now the Greek manuscripts don't always carry the tone of voice. (laughs) So we've got to kind of supply that. But you can tell the tone of voice by the response of Gabriel in each case. That it was a lack of faith on Zechariah's place and Gabriel strikes him where he can't speak until the baby's born. And even though, I mean, clearly a miracle happens prior to that because Zacharias and Elizabeth have relations and they have a baby and she gets pregnant and for nine months he's still not talking. So even though he believes because of his wife's pregnancy, he doesn't get his voice back until the birth of the child, John the Baptist. Mary says, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin, she's not rebuked for lack of faith. The angel explains to her, you're you're a virgin, you're going to stay a virgin, you're going to be a virgin when you deliver this baby. That um, it's going to be a miracle. God will conceive the Christ in your womb. And uh, so the same how can this be with uh, the, the, the lack of faith or with the wonder. That's what I'm talking about. The how can this be with the wonder and the amazement and the thrill. How can this be? And, and this is the joy of everyone that's waiting upon the Lord. Don't grumble that it's taking so long. Be thrilled that God is walking you through patiently to see the glory of what He's supplying. Waiting is a thrill. So we'll come back next week and have waiting lessons. And that might be the only slide we look at next week. I don't know. It's, uh, there's a lot of doctrine there. There's a lot of encouragement there. The thrill and blessing because the promised outcome for waiting is Yeshua, is salvation. There's salvation here. It says, wait for the Lord and He will save you. Okay? So we'll deal with experiential sanctification and the ongoing salvation that we need day by day, moment by moment in this Christian walk. 
Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for truth. I thank you for the living and abiding Word of God. I thank you for this Proverbs class, Father, and you continue to provide. You continue to bless it. We continue to uh, to learn these lessons. We thank you and we praise you, Father. Um, we are anticipating a break a year after next, and we just trust in you that you'll get us to the right place to take that break. And uh, just thank you for being faithful, Father. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.